Well, all right. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us for dinner and uh, a listening session of sorts that I'm sure can continue. Now that you got the conversation started, you know how to continue it. And where'd Dave Thiessen go? Where'd Dave Thiessen go? Oh, he's upstairs. He's in the nursery. So you can see Dave Thiessen in the nursery afterwards and tell him what you really think. Or I think people, if you're on this pastor search team, just to make really clear, Phil, Chelsea, Joy, I think there's at least Elizabeth for sure, Russell, there we go. So there's plenty of people you could talk to as your thoughts emerge from that very beginning of a conversation. And speaking of beginnings, we're going to begin this week, uh, Prophets and Liberation, or maybe we'll start calling it Prophets Then and Now. We're still tweaking it, but you'll learn, you'll know a lot more about what the next six weeks are going to be in this space um, in about an hour. But to start us off, we're back with Walter Brueggemann and the Prophetic Imagination, a text that I think we'll hear some more about tonight and I think really helps frame some of how we're hoping to engage prophets and prophecy and the biblical tradition and as a thing that still have a great deal to say and to shape about the way we walk through our world now. So, the prophet engages in a futuring fantasy. The prophet does not ask if the vision can be implemented, for questions of implementation are of no consequence until the vision can be imagined. The imagination must come before the implementation. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. The same royal consciousness that can make it possible to implement anything and everything is the one that shrinks imagination because imagination is a danger. Thus, every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist. It is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination and keep on conjuring and proposing futures alternative to the single one the king wants to urge as the only one thinkable. So, six more weeks, six weeks on imagination, on prophets in the Old Testament and now, and we talked about a community song that could do, so we went, we went broad, because if the prophets were looking for anything, they were ears to listen and eyes to see what was fundamentally at odds and broken with God's vision of the world that they saw. So I think we've sung this one at various times over the past number of years. So I'll get us started. We'll sing it to you three times just to really lock it in. This is a lovely little song. I think Sandra McCracken had something to do with it. Open up our ears to listen. Open up our eyes to see. Plant the seed of understanding. Grow it up like the tallest tree. Your turn. Open up our ears to listen. Open up our eyes to see, plant the seed of understanding, grow it up like the tallest tree. One more time, open up our ears to listen, open up our eyes to see, plant the seed of understanding, grow it up like the tallest tree. And you already got it. Okay. Uh, kids who bid you upstairs. I think uh, younger folks are starting a brand new curriculum this week that kids team just sort of vetted and we're getting into and I think our middle school folks, uh, Rachel's done a great job. We're going to start them in the book of Amos in a very serious way. And down here before we get too much further, maybe talk about What's going to be going on in the four o'clock hour the next few weeks? Is there? Do you want to talk about Durham Can first, or is there nothing anything from? No. There's no can. Well, I'll know more by next Sunday. Okay. <laughs> uh, from a Durham Can perspective, there are plenty. I'm sure you all have seen that there are plenty of places where you can donate financially or donate goods for those in Mac McDougal Terrace. Um, and Durham Can, probably this week or the end of this week, um, Durham Can strategy team and clergy team are working on some potential actions, more specific actions that are coming up around Max Dougal Terrace. Um, and so be on the lookout. Um, but yeah, you can find 
you all follow her on Facebook, it's um, called Everyone Versus DHA. It's a very helpful Facebook group. There's a lot that goes through it, but kind of any, all of the latest and most accurate updates around financial donations, where you can drop off, specific needs, um, can be found there. They are finding that a lot of donations, which um, talked to a clergy friend yesterday, um, they are probably going to be starting to get a bit more specific on donation needs, like more specific donation needs, because there is already starting to be a surplus of some things and not enough of others. But that's the best place to follow. Like it's DHA versus everybody. DHA versus everyone. DHA versus everyone. DHA versus everyone. Um, okay, so there's some update there, and glad Durham Can is on the ground with all these things. Uh, in terms of what's going on 4 o'clock hour in this new six weeks with profits and such, oh, oh, you do have more? Okay, all right. This is pre, uh, if you're available tomorrow at 9 a.m. to go to the courthouse, it's DHA eviction day court for December evictions, um, and we, Durham Can has been showing up every month because DHA is our own eviction day. Um, but they are especially asking people to be able to come to the courthouse for the morning to just witness what's happening. Um, and that's 9 a.m. Durham Courthouse. You can ask where evictions court is and they will take you to the chambers. All right. So that 4 o'clock hour next week, um, we're going to do three different things again. And the first one... We're glad to have, I think the first sort of artist in residence thing we did in this new model was Suze during Lent last year, and now she's back. So do you want to talk about what you're going to be doing for a few weeks, Suze? Yeah. Um, we'll do a creative writing workshop during the first hour, um, and we'll kind of be playing with the idea of the prophetic and future vision. So I'll be pulling some like sci-fi and... Um, maybe some like old writings about the future and then also like the biblical literature to kind of try to spark some stuff. But we'll, we'll actually do some creative projects with each other, like maybe trying to produce a, a short story of a future vision. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing. Playtime. All right. So that starts next week. And I think each of these is going to go, well, in some way for four weeks. So, And then uh, Phil came to us. Phil wants to have a conversation with about money. And the prophets had things to say about economics. And so, Phil, tell us about what you're kind of imagining for this few weeks. Yeah, so this is not a spreadsheet dollars and cents conversation, but more a conversation about what is money and why is money and how does it fit into um, how we're called to be people of God and what does that look like. And... Um, <clears throat> I've got lots of different thoughts, and we'll kind of see who shows up and where we go. Awesome. So not financial peace, university peace. <laughs> no, that's next time. <laughs> <laughs> Marxist capital. <laughs> so we're going to see who shows up, and then we'll figure out what the conversation looks like. And if those are the polls, imagine fitting in there somewhere, you know? Um, and then the third one is, and this one I think could really be shaped by the community as well, but it's something we sort of cooked up in our curation conversation with lay people got, and Sue's got together um, this past week, actually. And we thought it would be nice to do something located that took us out into the community. And so we're going to be thinking up three or four different places within a reasonable driving distance that a small group of us, anybody who's wanting to do that this, that week could go. And staff will be working on places and a reading of some sort to pair with that. It would actually be, take us out into the community at some place of import or significance historically or currently with some readings that we could publicly do together and sort of feel out that kind of voice of prophecy located in a very particular place in our community. So if you have ideas about things that are within you know, five, ten's probably about the max, like a short driving distance of here, or if you'd be willing to maybe lead one of those over three or four weeks. Staff's willing to put some energy into that, but thought that was one that could kind of take shape with our series as well. So those are three different things. All those will be going on at four 
over the next, this sort of weeks two through five of this series. The going somewhere, the thought is that you all would still meet here. And then drive there together. And then come back here. So we've come up with a couple of possibilities for things that would be short drives and back. But if you just have one burning on your heart, or that really energizes you and you want to be part of maybe putting one of those together, let us know. Okay, so there's three things we'll be doing together. And as we've been doing, I um, want to open a space to kind of create a sort of perme permeable membrane between what you brought into this conversation and where we are together tonight. And so, yeah, thinking of prophets, our prophetic witness, and Molly will have a lot more about historically, biblically, what that's been up to. But just taking that in the loosest possible way, who's been a prophet to you, our prophetic witness in your life, maybe currently, maybe sometime back. If you throw that word out there, what kind of person comes to mind? I'll go. <laughs> this will be a tale of two pastors. Um, <laughs> so the pastor I grew up with has written about 30 books on prophecy. <laughs> Multnomah Press. That gives you any sense. Uh, and he, so he wrote like the encyclopedia of biblical prophecy that accompanied the Left Behind series. <laughs> so, um, I'm hearing you say you don't want to do this series. <laughs> no, I'm happy to invite him. Tell you who Gog and Mad Dog are now. I mean, it's different than what he said back in the day. It was the Soviet Union. And, <laughs> well, that was probably the same cast of characters. <laughs> but um, uh, so you know, I had a childhood that was formed by like a year-long series on Daniel, a year-long series on Ezekiel. Um, but I was just telling a friend that, I don't know why, that never stuck with me at all. Like, it never intrigued me, because it seemed so out of tune with me as someone who was growing interested in history from a very early age. It seemed so ahistorical. Um, but, but I had, had an opportunity this week to, um, to talk to someone about Tim, you know, the founder of this community. And, and so I, it caused me to reflect on, on char characteristics that Tim has. And, one of which is um, watching him over a series of years tell us to pay him less. Each year we would go into conversations and, and, um, and I was sharing this with the, with the person that I was talking to and she said, I've never, I've been working for 40 years in the church, I've never heard of it, a pastor say pay me less. Um, and so I think it's not unique to Tim within this community, I think a number of, uh, of folks have, have uh, made sacrifice, but it's a mark that he brought to this community that to me uh, was prophetic. I remember in the first lead team meeting and saying like, hey guys, pay me less this year. We need to do this, this. And um, that's always kind of stuck with me as, as a, 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 something that left a mark on our community and shaped us. Thanks, Brandon. A couple others. Something that, um I've been kind of thinking a lot about in the last year has been something that Michael Gunger said is that um, God is in where you think she can't be, that wherever <laughs> you draw the lines around, this is where you can find God and this is where you can't, that God's going to be outside those lines. And so when I think about prophets that have inspired me and people that I've looked to, it's those people who are outside of the church premises, okay? Queer people or, you know, those people who have a different kind of spiritual flavor or whatever. Um, that's Anyone else? Prophets on the mind. Joel? So this is a, a little bit of a shift in uh, <coughs> but um, I haven't read the whole article, but Rolling Stone did a profile of my uh, original hometown congressman, Dennis Kucinich, mm -hmm. a couple days ago. And um, you know, I was a supporter of his, like, when we knew, like, I, I guess I'm just, I'm just thinking about, like, like he was a congressman and he ran for president way before universal health care or any of the stuff he supported was, like, remotely something that could be part of the mainstream conversation even on the, the, the Democratic primary, even in the Democratic primary. But also, like, he was gerrymandered out of his, his congressional seat and just the, the extent to which People who are um, people who are prophetic voices, like and advocate for an idea before its time, like get shoved to the side. Mm -hmm. 
when you know some you know Bernie Sanders comes along later and is like, oh you know Bernie's so great and, or whatever you know whatever, but it's like as if Bernie Sanders like made up this stuff that other people have been advocating for for decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean Sanders had it too, but like I don't know, just like like who who is taken seriously when and why and like people so, you know someone who's like speaking into the wilderness and kind of nobody remembers that this person like existed even though like now. Everything they said is, you know, very seriously considered. Thanks. I love that range. That's lovely. From Brandon's prophecy professor to Dennis Kucinich. I love it. And yeah, I think that they really, it's, we really want to lean into this conversation of this biblical narrative of prophecy and, and the fact that we still do find ourselves longing for and looking for and like trying to tune through the static for those voices that give us some sense of clarity um, and, and prophetic imagination. And yeah, we're gonna try and hold a lot of those alongside each other over the next six weeks. To help us do that, we've got Sue's Long. She's back, six weeks. So yeah, to help us frame our conversation, uh, we pulled these two songs, Dr. My Eyes and Shine a Different Way, I think uh, they gloss both the sort of like despairing approach to prophecy, you know, like, oh, that's too much. Like, is this too much? And then the sort of like, I don't know how it's gonna work, but it's not too much. So we'll do both. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of without crying now I want to understand I have done all that I could to see the evil and the good without hiding you must help me if you can doctor my eyes tell me what is wrong was I unwise to leave them Cause I have wandered through this world And as each moment has unfurled I've been waiting to awaken from these dreams People go just where they will I never noticed them until I got this that it's later than it seems Doctor, my eyes Tell me what you see I hear their cries They say it is too late for me Doctor, my eyes cannot see the sky. Is this the prize for having learned how not to I'm gonna let it be the sun In more ways than one 
shine a different way tomorrow. I'm gonna let it be the moon, let it play the tune, the one that keeps repeating. I'm gonna let it be your will, let it have your thrill, if that's what you are needing. I'm gonna let it start again, gonna let it chase the out before me I'm gonna let it look at me as I am sleeping in the dark and love me like a baby I'm gonna let it be the sun in more ways than one run out of its horizon I'm gonna let it be the night for I have had my day dancing at the back door I'm gonna let it hear the prayer no matter I'm gonna let the dream tell me what it has always known, the moonlight and the glistening, the moonlight and the glistening, the moonlight and the glistening Good to be with you all. Um, I'm excited to talk about the prophets and kick off this series tonight. Um, but first, we're going to pass the peace. Uh, for many of you, it's good to have you back from the holiday and a lot of travel. So pass the peace of Christ with someone maybe you haven't seen in a bit. I think there's still food back there. If you're hungry, uh, please eat, and we will gather back in just a few moments for Prophets 101. Get excited. Okay. All right, if you don't mind to work your way back toward the middle, that'd be great. Um, tonight, as I'm sure you have noticed, you're noticing a lot of Walter Brueggemann um, and different excerpts from his book, The Prophetic Imagination. If you have any spare time, or even if you don't, um, I would encourage you if you want to pick up a read over these next six weeks, that this be one. Um, yeah, it's worth, it's worth reading, and he has spent his entire career really studying the prophets and what they, prophets of old and prophets of new, and how we are to respond and how the prophets impact our lives and if you've never seen him or heard a recording of him, he's just a really lovely gentleman with a very nice voice to listen to. Um, he what? He does. He's very southern. Yeah. Um, Maybe they have an audio tape. They probably do. This book's been around for a long time. Um, Walter Brueggemann is old. Like he's not like. I don't know if he's eighty yet, but he might be um, older. I shouldn't say old older. Uh, in my other congregation, I would have been like booed for saying that. So. <laughs> but anyway, um, I would encourage you to read it. And of the three things that Brandon and Joel and Becca named of what, who's a prophet or what is prophetic, you all really hinted at, I think, how prophets are often seen as both threatening at times, yet transformative, even if before 
before their time or before people have caught on. And we're going to dive into lots of this tension between the threatening and the transformative ways of prophets um, and how we are to respond to them, prophets of old and prophets of new. And looking at the prophets, something I really love that Brueggemann does is he talks about prophets, that they, true prophets are poets and artists. Uh, that every prophet is a poet um, because poets describe the world differently because they have an ability to see the world differently um, and that each prophet and every poet sees things slightly differently, which isn't a bad thing, but it was, it's what makes the prophets and the poetic so robust. And it also is what makes the prophet and the poet and the artist unable to be contained by the principalities and powers because they are so unique in seeing and proclaiming a different way. We're gonna get into all of that. But before we do, I thought tonight, hence Ben came up with a title, Prophets 101, that it might be helpful um, to actually have some historical background, kind of some biblical background of who the prophets of old were, <laughs> who they were speaking to and when, I don't know about you, but maybe it's been a while since you had a Sunday school lesson on like the historicity, right? Or kind of just the biblical arc, the narrative arc of the prophets and the people of Israel. Um, or for me, it's been, it was 10 years since I sat and entered a Hebrew Bible at Wake Divinity. And often when studying a specific book, right, you can get enough context. But since we're gonna be talking about lots of different prophets that are overlapping, um, and we might talk about one prophet here and then another prophet at a different point, I thought it might be helpful to have some historicity. And I have a friend who's done a prophet series three times, and she said the first two times she did not do the history and everybody just looked at her because she realized they were just confused about who they were speaking to and what exactly the context was. And then the last time she did a Prophets 101 and she actually sent it out to her congregation and made them all watch it. I am not doing that. So <laughs> you all will have to hear it. Um, if you aren't here though, if you're hearing this on the podcast, I'm not gonna send you a video. So we're just gonna do a refresher on kind of when and where and what these prophets of old were up to, who they were speaking to in the particulars um, to help us get a better sense of just how threatening as well as transforming what they were saying and what they were doing really was both then and now. And I hope it also gives us, I think sometimes we can read the prophets of old especially or even the prophets of new, different prophets that we will bring in and we kind of like to distance ourselves because we say, oh, 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 but that was, that was then and the issues and things that were plaguing them then really doesn't, don't affect us now. But I'm hopeful that after this crash course, quite literally and quite broad, um, you all will see that a lot of themes of empire and who is God and who has a right to worship God, how one understands and who, who is deemed worthy to be a full human being with full rights, right, and who is not, that a lot of these issues or things that we call issues are still so present and permeate our world today. Okay, so don't get scared. We're starting in Exodus, but I promise it's going to go really, really fast. Okay, but this is kind of where the story begins, right? So Exodus, everybody remembers the book of Exodus perhaps, the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, but God, as we're told in Exodus, remembered the cries of God's people and heard their cries and through the leading of Moses, the Israelites moved from Egypt into the Promised Land. Perhaps remember this from Sunday school or pop culture or something, right? But before they get to the Promised Land, they spend 40-ish years in between Egypt and the Promised Land. 40 years in the, de in the desert, okay? Now, once in the Promised Land, 
which I really thought about having a map, and I didn't, <laughs> but now I'm thinking that could have been helpful. I just thought it was dorky at the time. So imagine, right, so kind of once, here's like Egypt. <laughs> I don't know if this is helping, but we're going to try. So, <laughs> so here's like Egypt. They're in the desert like here, and then they're up here in the promised land, okay? So there are, the promised land is roughly Canaan, right, what we hear about in Canaan. And it's as well kind of, it's this area between the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River. Okay, so that area, this is so accurate, um, is where most of these, where these people are living and where the prophets are speaking throughout, okay? So the Israelites, once in the promised land, mind you, 40 years in the desert, now in the promised land, they're doing all right, okay? They're sort of all one, the Israelites, sort of. They set up a way of living that includes a series of judges not kings yet, but judges sort of were helping to maintain order. And somewhere during this time, after they've made it out of the desert to the promised land, they've established judges. They decide to establish probably what some of you have heard of as the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so you have 12 tribes. This is important for the prophets. So there are two tribes in the north and 10 tribes in the south. But over time, the Israelites get restless and they want a monarchy, right? Because that's what they've known. They've known monarchies and kingdoms. And it's in this development of the monarchy or talks of monarchy that we start seeing what many Hebrew Bible scholars say more classic prophets emerge. What some even consider to be the first prophets. That statement's also highly contested, but we'll talk about that later. So these first prophets, or what some consider the first prophets, are more narrative-based, and you find those in 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. These are the prophets, perhaps you've heard about Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, and Elisha, right? Always confusing to get Elijah and Elisha straight. Now, monarchy is established, and the first monarchy, the first king was Saul. And throughout his established reign, the prophets, these narrative prophets as they're described, right, starts warning, let's be careful here. You might forget Yahweh's true ways for the love of God and love of neighbor and think that this empire is more important than it is. Watch out. But King Saul, though, is able to sort of keep the peace, kind of holds things together, but tension starts to develop under King Saul's reign between the northern two tribes and the ten southern tribes. But then King David, right? We all probably have heard of King David, young King David. He becomes king and is able to keep them united. All right. Well, then after David, does anybody remember what king comes after David? Solomon, yes. Okay. When Solomon becomes king, things get bad, like really bad. Under Solomon's reign, there's a major shift in the monarchy and the power of the monarchy. Massive taxation to build his temple and a larger palace begins, right? Solomon was, had lots of wives and lots of concubines. And the worship of God shifted from being free, which is what Moses, right, really worked hard for to become only for the wealthy or kind of this almost like prosperity gospel mindset of I worship God because then that benefits me somehow. Okay, so things drastically start to shift. Under Solomon, there's forced taxation, there's forced labor. As Sue said this afternoon, Solomon loves his lumber and that makes things complicated. So during Solomon's reign, the north and south begin really fighting, and that fighting keeps on going after he dies. So eventually, the north, the two tribes of the north, succeed from the south. And the two tribes of the north take on the name Israel, and the ten tribes of the south take on the name Judah. 
And so it's during this divided kingdom period that we have what has been become known as the three eras of prophets, roughly from 8th century BCE through 6th century BCE, though some even push it a bit further. And this is where most of the prophets will be discussing fall, right? Most, not all, but most of the major and minor prophets fall somewhere in here. Um, And each prophet, we'll share this once like each week, but each prophet is speaking often either to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom and is speaking to them based out of particular social, political, religious location with this overarching, broad-based narrative of like, hey, You've forgotten you aren't a people of empire, but a people of God. Not that dissimilar, perhaps, from what some prophets tell us. So the three eras. First, there's the pre-exilic era. Okay, so after the kingdoms, right, we have the north and the south, after they've split, prophets come to warn Israel, come to warn especially the northern tribes, that they better start worshiping God and remove oppressive social policy or else. Just of it. And during this time, Assyria, another power, another empire, comes and wipes out the northern kingdom of Israel. And they take back some of the people to Assyria but the southern kingdom, the southern ten tribes, are still holding on. Later on, though, still in this pre-exilic period, Babylon comes in, another empire comes in, removes the Jerusalem temple, and they choose not to take everyone from the southern ten tribes back with them, but they take the key leaders of the southern ten tribes with their thought being, hey, if they're the smartest ones here, helping run their communities and kingdoms, then we want them in Babylon. Okay, so that's pre-exilic. Then you have what's known as the exilic period of prophets. When some Israelites from the southern tribes are living in Babylon and longing for home, but then you have others that are still hanging out in the southern kingdom, right? In the promised land. So they're asking themselves, how can we be faithful to Yahweh living in this land? And some scholars say that they're a bit more open to the prophets during this time. You should read the prophets for yourself and form your own opinions. And so they're in exile for a good bit. And then, under the Persian Empire, those that have been exiled are told, No, actually, you can go back home as long as you pay taxes to us. And so the Israelites are able to go back. But they're trying to establish a new home and a new way of being, especially between those that were removed and those that stayed. And they're asking themselves, how are we to be together faithful to one another and to God. It's a very broad overview. (laughs) And it was very fast. But what I hope that you all might see is that these tensions and these dynamics, right, aren't really that dissimilar from how all of humanity, right, has tried to figure out how do we live and work and be and form monarchies and empires and be a people of faith in the midst of that. It is different, but not that dissimilar from today. And these pre-exilic and exilic and post-exilic prophets, rather than the first prophets, 
found in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings that are more narrative-based stories about the prophets. These prophets are where we really start getting what Brueggemann would call the poets and the artist, because what we have are really their oracles and recordings of what they have said rather than stories about them. And the thread throughout all of the prophets of old is that these prophets imagined their contemporary world differently while also strongly holding on to the old traditions of their faith. So they held both tradition and imagination closely I really love what Brueggemann says of the prophet's writing of these in pre, pre-exilic, exilic, and post-exilic. He says, in the more liberal theological tradition that I was raised, we only talked about the prophets as moral teachers and their writings as moral code. And there was no attention to the artistic, aesthetic quality of how they did that. But the artistic is the only way in which you can think outside of the box. Otherwise, even liberal passion for justice just becomes another ideology, and it does not have transformative power. That's that's what's extraordinary about the prophetic poetry, these prophets. Their writings are so elusive that it refuses to be reduced to a formula or a simple issue. As poetic literature and oracles that can't be reduced to a formula or a simple single issue, these prophets constantly are envisioning alternative ways to how things are. They're saying in the midst of all the empire, of all the struggle, of all the fighting, of all the taxation, of all the unfair labor, of everything that is unjust, hey, there's another way. Wake up. There is another way, and it's not their own alternative, but this is where tradition, right, ties in for the prophets, but it's God's alternative, and they are reminding God's people of who God is and who God might be if they but open their eyes. Prophets are offering alternatives in how to worship, how to live, how to see their neighbor, how to see one another, and even how to see themselves. And on the whole, what we will find is that they offer these alternatives in two primary ways that we'll be looking at throughout the series, by criticizing and by energizing. Through criticism, these prophets boldly grieve and lament. And it's through that very grief and lament that they engage in that they try to penetrate the numbness of the people with grief so that maybe their numbness might break open and they can actually see and understand the criticism. But they don't just stay in criticism. Once the numbness has been penetrated, then they aim to energize and envision an alternative through hope. Thinking and believing that despair can only be broken open with hope. But that we have to have both grief and lament and hope to live into alternative futures. That we have to have both criticism and energy to move forward. And Sue had this really brilliant idea of how we're going to kind of talk about or look at the prophets over the next four weeks, because they had some particular ways of both criticizing and energizing. And so the four that we're going to kind of look at 
is one is through visions and dreams. Some prophets were really into then and now visions and dreams. Another is what's known as sign acts. Public proclamation and political action. But I'm hopeful as I started thinking through and working on this history that maybe part of the history and going through this and as I was working on it thinking like, man, humanity, we really haven't learned much, right? is that somehow I might actually be able to start, and we, to start to grieve by how much we still haven't figured out, (laughs) by how much of an empire people we are, rather than a people of God. But through that grief, there is deep hope that there are, in fact, prophets of old and prophets of new constantly reminding us, hey, 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 This isn't the way it has to be. There is an alternative. And they're reminding us in these poetic, artistic, sometimes slightly ludicrous ways that we want to push off to the edges. But just so much as empire feels like it has always been a part of humanity's reality, so have the prophets among us. If only we don't push them to the side. That was a lot. But I'm hopeful that given some context for who and where we are as we're reading these Old Testament prophets in particular over these next few weeks will help us engage more deeply, not only with the biblical text, but also with our narrative and our contemporary context and think through the historicity and the different players that are shaping and informing what prophets of old and prophets of new are speaking into for us. But as we begin this series, I want to hear from you. What do you hope we might learn from these prophets of old and prophets of new? So we might be a prophetic people in an even deeper way Or so we might be a people who finally has their numbness and jadedness penetrated and broken open toward hope and on an alternative future. What are you hoping over these next five weeks we might learn from these prophets and not just a very broad historical lesson? I like your your comment about how the conditions that the prophets are prophesying about mm-hmm. may, may not be very different from mm-hmm. what's played out in history. Yeah. And so there's a richness there that I hope that, I hope um, for myself, like going through this, you can build my own like, literacy level of familiarity with, with some of those repeated themes mm-hmm. for the, the pra- like building the practice of hearing the prophetic voices now for mm-hmm. this, those same reverberating yeah. set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what well, it might sound crazy now, Yeah. maybe we can hear Dennis Kucinich this time, yeah, the first right, time. Right, rather than... If we can change yeah. the way we hear it. Totally. Yeah, thanks for that, Neil. Others, what do you hope we might learn from these prophets of old and prophets of new throughout this series? I think I long to be reminded more often that we lie in a continuum Mm -hmm. and that in this particular moment is not defining Mm -hmm. times because it's really easy to despair. Yeah. That we are. There's a broader thing going on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're repeating the same mistakes and stuff, but there's still a sort of. There's an arc. Yeah. Thing in the flow. So. I'm interested in um, 
study what the prophets left us. Like, I wonder if we'll learn about the communities they lived in and that sustained them mm -hmm. as they were like, um, saying hard things and how they sort of lived through that. Um, And like the fact, right, that like these prophets, there probably were more prophets than these, right? But like that these were the ones that were chosen to be canonized by a particular community. That what they were saying and what they were doing was, yeah, was worth it and mattered. Yeah. Like maybe it's just easy to imagine as like crazy people marching through the wilderness. Yeah. But, but there's more to that, that right? right? But I don't right. think that's always yeah. true. Yeah. Like, Crazy bands of people marching through the wilderness. Yeah. Like, how did they? How did they meet each other? Like, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Sure. Others, what do you hope we might learn? Or see in new ways out of this series? One of my favorites is ballet mm -hmm. and a donkey. Um, and um, the, the, the eighth century prophets, you know, a lot of what they were doing, it seems to me, and I want to learn some more about this, is, is um, calling people back to the love of God. And, um, and those, the way they did that is really beautiful. And so I want to know more about the prophets of new where it does seem so despairing now. How, how can we be called back to that um, all-forgiving love um, of all the things that, that we as a society and a people and a community and a group nationality have done, mm. how can we be called back? Mm. How can we be forgiven mm. and called back to that, that chesed love mm. and that peace, that shalom mm. peace? Mm. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. How can we be a people called back to that love and peace? Because really that's the energizing, right? One or two more. So, I mean, not that long ago, we spent time in John's book of, I guess, what's mostly prophecy, and we talked about Revelation, right? And one of the things that I left Revelation with was just like this deep cognitive dissonance of like, oh shoot, he's like railing against all these systems, and I see myself as much as I academically and intellectually disagree with these systems, I see myself irrevocably intertwined in these systems. Yeah. And it, it the, the, the cognitive dissonance is like, I don't like these things, I want to imagine a better future, but any path that I imagine to that better future is not just <coughs> bad for me, but I see it like potentially like really disruptive to all of society. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I want, since doing Revelation, I've been really trying to find the inspiration and find the thought process to like how, how can we envision a better world that just doesn't completely pull up our world, mm -hmm. right? And that's, given that history is more circular than it is linear, yeah. that's something I'd love to find in the prophets. Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think we'll, don't have an answer, <laughs> but no. Yeah, and I think too, so um, we were having this conversation as well on Wednesday among talking about like some prophets of new or different people that we would consider prophets. And um, I'm especially struck by prophets that are quite young, right? Who didn't start off trying to be a prophet. <laughs> Right? They just like made one decision and then kept making a different decision. 
And a question I've had is how, I think tied to yours, um, not only how do we leave a better world, right, or like a world that's not blown up, but a different world, right, for our children, but how actually are, who and where are the teens and children prophets among us that are actually like inviting us into a different way of living that we maybe are brushing off or are too, yeah, maybe think, oh, there's no, they're a kid, they can get away with that, but actually what does it mean for us? Anyway, that doesn't answer your question, but it is kind of tied of, yeah, how my kids and teens as leaders, right, and the prophets that are prophesying to us help us in that. Well, I do promise that um, I am not giving you a history lesson the rest of this series. <laughs> um, I do hope it was helpful. I think if you want extra reading materials, Brandon has an entire canon of from his pastor. If you want a slightly different perspective, um, feel free to go read that. Um, it was a major overview, but I do hope that we are able to recognize that these prophets of old, um, yeah, we're speaking into different times, but times that weren't quite that dissimilar. Um, and what are they telling us and speaking to us today? And so hope you'll come back. It's gonna be a really robust, fun five weeks um, with Sue's having really brilliant and passionate ideas about the prophets as well. So with that, lead us into confession and absolution. Uh, for a confession today, um, I'm sharing with y'all a personal confession. Um, it is just a, a hymn that uh, that I think, like to to me, sort of like confesses the way that we we love we love the lie, you know, um, and that I think sometimes like getting outside of the entrenched ways of thinking. The first obstacle we have to hurdle is like how much we, sometimes we really love it um, before we can get outside of it. Love was a shame. 
I would swallow the sun just to change that. I have swallowed the sun, I have swallowed the sun. I have swallowed the sun just to change. ahead of us, um, looking forward to this five weeks with y'all. And as we talk about the grandiosity of prophecy, right, I think it, it pulls our imagination upward. We're talking about kings and kingdoms and empires and the poor and the rich and a God that overlooks it all. I think it's very good, as it often is very good, whatever we're talking about, to come together around a space that is both that grand and also precisely that intimate, that calls us out from all the dark rooms we have fallen in love with, however big they seem, however crushing and small they seem, into a different space, uh, where a God whose vision need not be small and who invites our vision not to be small speaks over empire and all the grand falseness that robs our imagination and also speaks to the most small and the most interior and the most sad and sickening ways that we have robbed ourselves in, in the deepest parts of ourselves from what we might be in the sight of God and what we might be together and says, come around this table where none of that is off the table, but where there is a very different table set in the midst. If you will be willing to take bread and to take wine and to look across into another and imagine that there is a God that might speak powerfully and prophetically into that space 
between, across which we reach to say, here is the body of Christ. Here's the blood of Christ. Here is the love and light of Christ set in our midst and amidst it all. So that's the table I invite you to tonight, as we always do, juice in the green pitcher, wine in the other one that's less green, uh, gluten-free crackers and bread, serving each other and celebrating a God in our midst and welcoming us into something more, into something here. You're welcome.